Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Good morning, good morning. Don't worry, we're not talking about giving today, based on the, the, the title. Don't worry about that. That's another time. But what will your contribution be is, is the question. People can be very busy. People can be very powerful. People can be very influential. But accomplish nothing of lasting value. <laughs> Unfortunately, we may have seen that in the previous election cycle. A lot of talking. A lot of, you know, but do they accomplish anything of lasting, meaningful value. Well, what about you? Do you want to make a significant contribution to the lives of others? That's what this discussion this morning, this sermon, whatever you want to call it, is, is really about. If you want to make a significant contribution, if you want to pour into the lives of others, we're not going to talk about that exhaustively today, but I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 14. And I want to use that as our, as our topic um, uh, outline, if you will, for, um, for how we can make a significant contribution to each other within the body of Christ, but also to those who don't know Jesus yet. So, the first thing I want us to talk about today is proclaiming God's Word instructively. Now, there's a lot of discussion here in 1 Corinthians 14, the first 25 verses, about um, foreign languages or speaking in tongues. <clears throat> and contrary to what may, uh, some may, may say today, really over the last roughly 100 years, this speaking in tongues is not an unintelligible spirit language that nobody can understand. No, they were real live languages that somebody had never ever studied that they could then speak. If I could just stand up here and start busting out Hungarian, that would be a miracle. And that's exactly what happened in the first century. That's not what this entire thing is, is about, though. This entire chapter is not just about not speaking in tongues. I think it goes deeper than that. Listen to what Paul says here. Pure, pursue love. Now, remember, this is coming out of chapter 13. Um, and Paul didn't, of course, write them in chapters. But uh, later on, editors kind of broke it into chapters. But we call chapter 13 the chapter of love, where he's, he's talking about the, the benefit and, and kind of the definition of what it means to love each other. And, and so he... And he says, love is not this, but instead love is this. As a kind of a high, high, high level view of chapter 13. So he says here, pursue love, absolutely, and desire spiritual gifts. Now, what does that mean? Well, in this specific context, he's talking about miraculous gifts. Like I was saying, the ability for me to just start speaking to you in Hungarian or in Szechuan, or some kind of language that I've never studied before, that's a, that would be an example of a miraculous gift. There were other miraculous gifts that existed in the first century. He said, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, what does that mean? Well, in that context, it was people that would be able to stand up in front of a group 
and just start speaking the Word of God, having never studied it, having never read it because it hadn't been written yet, for example, they could just speak as the oracles of God right from the, uh, from the get-go. He's saying, especially desire that gift. Now, does that gift exa- exist today? No, I assure you I am not inspired to stand up here and speak this. I had to study this material and read through it and, and, and put these, these things together. So I'm not inspired in that sense. However, the inspired word of God is how we prophesy today. The, the inspired by the Holy Spirit word of the living God is what we have collected for us today in these 66 books by 40-plus authors written over roughly 1,500 years that we have for us today. And that's all that I'm attempting to teach today. It's nothing, nothing new. In fact, if I bring you something new, there's likely a problem. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However... In the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues unless he interprets that the church may receive edification. What is he saying here? He's contrasting the gifts of tongues with the gift of prophecy. And he's saying that the gift of prophecy is better for building up the church. That word edify, we hear that a lot. That's kind of a churchy word, right? We don't, we don't talk about edifying in any other context. Um, we Sometimes in, in, in the strict um, study of architecture, Anna, you probably have heard edifice, that word edifice, right? The, the structure, typically the outer structure of a building. It's bad to get called out, isn't it? I'm sorry. My, my son hates it when I do that. She's an architecture student. The edifice, what, what, what are we talking about? It's the structure around a building. And, and so what are we talking about in, in the context of people? If I can build you up, and I don't mean piling... Um, loose material on top of loose material like a sandcastle. You know, sandcastles look great, but then the first wind or wave or rain comes and they're gone. There's no edifice. There's no structure to it. That's why the Bible talks about that in the sense of how do we build each other up? How can we pour into each other? And I'm not just talking about from the pulpit. I'm not just talking about from a leader to to someone in the congregation. I'm talking about each other because this is talking to each other. How do we build each other up? And here, I believe that in the context of the New Testament, it's not so much a foretelling. You see, we spend a lot of time going through the book of Isaiah and we spend a lot of time talking about the word prophecy. Hey, the, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah was talking about Here's all the stuff that's going to happen to you if you don't turn your situation around. If you don't return to God, the Assyrians are going to come and they're going to smash you and they're going to take your, your children. They're going to do all these things to you. He was foretelling the future. And that didn't happen, in some cases, for hundreds of years. I believe in the, in the context of this prophecy, 
that Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 14. It's not so much foretelling as it is forth-telling, F-O-R-T-H, forth-telling. What do I mean by that? Speaking forth God's truth to people. Now, like I said, that doesn't necessarily mean from the pulpit somewhere. It means our everyday interactions and our conversations with people. When you're interacting with people, I don't mean preaching to someone, but is the Word of God part of what you're communicating with other people? Of course, our speech should be seasoned with salt. That means we, we need to be wise in what we're saying. We need to speak the truth in love. But are you helping someone, and, and most everyone in here has had an opportunity to, to talk with someone at work, in their family, um, one of the other uh, kids that, that plays soccer with your kid, uh, or is in the same daycare as your kid, or whatever the interactions that you have with people, where you have an opportunity to pour into somebody, to help them. And I don't mean talking down or preaching, but does the Word of God inform what you're talking about? I had an opportunity to talk to someone yesterday that had a, an, an issue with a co-worker. And they were upset that they hadn't been, that, that co-worker, hadn't, that, who's also a friend, hadn't contacted them because there was a big rift at work. They hadn't contacted them. I said, well, you know, in the context of Matthew chapter 18, and yes, I did quote Scripture because this person knew Scripture. I said, the, the onus is on us. If we're the wronged, we need to go to them. I said, by, turn that around. Matthew chapter 5 says if we are the wronger, the person that wronged somebody, we are to go to them. Now, what a beautiful um, system that God set up. What a, a beautiful set of, of examples and instructions that he gave us because if we're waiting on somebody else to do the right thing, we might be waiting a very long time. Like forever. But when the responsibility is, lies with us, we're the ones that are, you might say is in control. We're in control not of what they do, but of what we do. Now, I'm not bragging on me. I'm not smart enough to come up with that system. God is. And I simply saw it, recognized it, saw the opportunity, and shared it. See, this is why speaking in an uninterpreted foreign language benefits only the speaker because no one understands that language. I, the, the issue is not so much today, I believe, with a foreign language. I don't know if anybody in this room speaks a foreign language. Maybe you do a little bit. Yelmer um, and Rebecca are not here who speak Dutch. They, they're fluent. He obviously very fluent. She is getting there uh, in Dutch. <clears throat> Maybe you do. Maybe you speak a little bit of language, uh, of, of, a, of a language other than English. Uh, there is such thing as an Oki Dictionary, so if some of you need a translation from time to time, see Glenn Taylor for the Oki Dictionary. But the proclaiming God's Word in a language and in a way that people understand benefits everybody. It builds them up. It increases their potential. You see, without an edifice, how could you have a hundred-story building? If it was sand piled on top of sand or concrete piled on top of concrete, you can only go so far and then it, it loses its structural integrity, as they say. It, it won't stand up. 
but when we edify each other, there's no limit to how high we can grow, how far we can go, how fast we can grow. You see, that increases their potential. It encourages them. It helps them pursue God's will. It comforts them. It brings calm in a time of turmoil. You know, many of the songs that we sang this morning can, can be looked at from the standpoint of when there's turmoil in your life, God is a place of refuge. And we are teaching each other by singing this, by me singing this. I'm not singing this to God. God knows this. Yes, there is a worship of Him and a recognition of His omnipotence and His, and His power and His glory and His majesty, but I'm singing this to you. I'm declaring these words to you. These are truths that I believe. In fact, some of the songs that we, that we sing say, I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I believe whatever the cost. And, I, and we go on and we say, these are the words that I am committing to you and you to me collectively. That's what singing is in very much part about. That's what it's about. Declaring to each other. Does it sound good? Well, I hope so. We're to do all things to the glory of God. We are to, to do all things um, with excellence. And when it's in four-part harmony, sometimes five and six-part harmony, when, it's, when the rhythms are together, there's actually other things that go on psychologically and, and other things that go on physiologically that, that, that bring us together. I can go into that some other time. But we're, we're edifying one another in ways that we understand. So if you want to make a significant contribution in the, to the lives of others, use your spiritual gifts to benefit others. You say, well, I don't have the gift of, of speaking in tongues. No kidding. Nobody does. That's not new. But you do have other gifts. You do have other abilities. You do have other strengths. You do have other opportunities to build each other up, to pour into one another, to make significant contributions to the, uh, the lives of others. And that's the essence of love. That's why this comes directly after this chapter 13. It's putting love into action. It gives these descriptions in chapter 13, but then it gives these specifics or begins to give these specifics here in chapter 14. It's seeking another's benefit above your own. That's what Dale was talking about at the table. He left all heaven's glory to fulfill his father's plan. He left the splendor of heaven. There's all kinds of songs we sing that have those kind of words in them. Not to benefit himself. What was in it for him? Coming to this place where you have to scrounge to eat and, and there's all kinds of... I mean, he came into first century of Pete's sake. There's not a lot of, of uh, creature comforts in the first century. But he did it out of love for us 2,000 years later. And that's the way to make a real difference in people's lives. Is to seek another's benefit above your own. You see, when we speak in ways that edify or build each other up, we should aim at edification, not entertainment. Not just Hey, I, I want you to enjoy listening to me, whether it's, whether it's in a public setting like this or whether it's in a private setting. I, I don't want to just 
talk or, or do things just so you'll like me. This, in this context, it's pursuing improving people, not impressing them. And with yourself. There's some super-duper smart people in this room. Don't count myself among them. But when you're impressing with people with how smart you are, are you edifying? Are you pouring into people? Or are you just gathering a following, perhaps? It's not about gathering a following. You know, we see plenty of that on social media. Doing things, all kinds of things. All kinds of crazy things that we see, you know, whether it's on video or, they're, or they're, they're, they're typing out a tweet or whatever, to build a following. And we talk about, oh, they have you know, so many followers on Instagram. They've got so many followers on, on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. They're doing things to entertain, not necessarily to edify, from political uh, figures all the way down. It's a quick story about a, a man that went rock climbing. And he'd been rock climbing before. But he went with another guy that was a much more experienced rock climber. Now, we're talking about climbing up a sheer cliff. We're not talking about a, 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 a climbing a mountain, which is a little different. But in rock climbing, you often have um, a rope at the, at the top with a, a pulley system or whatever, and you have some down below that's called the, the belayer. So you're strapped in, and you've got a, a rope hooked to you as, as you're climbing up. But if you happen to fall, that rope catches you before you fall all the way to the ground. But, but you've got to trust the, the person that's at the bottom that's the belayer. Well, so this other guy was, was climbing. The, the, the less experienced climber was, was, was climbing up, and he fell. And the guy says, hey, man, I'm done. Just uh, let, let me down. He goes, nope. The belayer said, you've got to keep climbing. What are you talking about? He said, try it again. All right, so he kind of gets back into the rock, you know, and, and starts climbing up, and he falls. Now, he didn't fall to the ground because he's got that rope. It, it caught him. And, but the blayer said, you can do this. You can do this. I emphasized it. He's like, man, I'm tired. Let me down. Wouldn't let him down. He's 45 feet off the ground, swinging around, right, on this rope. He, he's, what am I going to do? He thinks. It's back on that rock and starts climbing up again. And he makes it all the way to the top this time. The guy at the bottom says, I see, I, I knew you could do it. I knew you could do it. He didn't let him quit. They're both thrilled with the accomplishment. So what's the story? What's the moral of the story here? That's what friends do. They help you raise your game. Now, I don't mean doing that by torturing somebody, by having them hang in the air, you know, by, by a rope. But if you want to make a significant contribution to the lives of others, help them raise their game. Help them raise their game, not your game. What did the guy at the bottom have to benefit from that? Speak and act in ways that edify or build others up. So proclaim God's word instructively. Preach God's word plainly. Look here in the next set of verses here, verses 6 through 9. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? 
Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Shepherds would use flutes or harps to signal their, their flocks. Um, you might think, well, how in the world could they hear a harp? Well, you got to remember, there wasn't I-35 going by. I, I could hear I-35 from my house. I, I really believe that, you know, four or five miles away to the, to the east. Um, it, it's just loud. There's loudness everywhere. It's a different environment than, than what they were in. Um, Soldiers would, would use bugles all the way up into the First World War. Uh, and in some cases, in the Second World War, with some units, they would use bugles to signal their, um, their, uh, their armies. But if they produced an indistinct sound, meaning if they produced something that was unintelligible, or they didn't know the, 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 the army or, or the, the sheep didn't know what was being played, they would be in confusion. So this is saying what we say has to be clear to people. He goes on and says, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks. The King James says barbarian. Now that doesn't mean barbarian in terms of behavior. It means, it means literally foreigner. And he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. It, it, it just reiterating that we're going to be useless if what we're saying, and this is not talking about speaking a language, that guy speaks English, I speak language, we're good, move on. I think it's more than that. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. What he's talking about here is there were miraculous gifts in the church and there were a lot of people that said, hey, I want that. I want that. Simon the sorcerer was willing to pay money to get that. And they said, mm-mm, no way. No way. The apostles did. But seek gifts for what purpose? To make you look good? No. For the edification of the church, the building up of the church. What are you doing to build up people within the congregation and outside? What are you doing to pour in to other people? You ever use Google Translate? You ever um, tried to translate something from English into another language or from another language into English? Or have you ever read the instructions on some uh, thing that was typically made in China and you read it and you're like, what in the world? Who translated this? It was, um, it was crazy. Well, back in 2005, before the Google Translate uh, had a whole lot uh, better uh, engine uh, to it. Uh, Secretary of State in the state of Washington tried to communicate with the states. There's a significant Chinese and Korean population there in the state of Washington, and they were trying to communicate with them. And so he had some um, statewide mandates to restore public trust. And so they, they took that phrase and they tried to put it into Chinese. And the, But the Chinese version read, and I quote, Swampy weed suggests whole state order recover open trust. What? And he, ran, he blamed the software, which is okay, that's true, which turns his, his words into Chinese characters. So he, he pulled the translations and he said, if it's totally confusing, it's worthless. 
duh. Paul wrote that in about A.D. 53, 55. If it's, if it's totally confusing, it's worthless. But I think that can be said about the church's message. Now, hear me out. Words like repentance, regeneration, redemption, they're cool, great, churchy words. And they're directly from Scripture in King James, New King James. They are biblical words and they are full of meaning and they're beautiful and they need to be understood. But that's the point. They need to be understood. We need to help people understand that. We need to help people understand the beauty of what the repentance, regeneration, redemption, sanctification, propitiation, all of these fancy English words that are so valuable, but we need to help people understand them when we're sharing the gospel with other people. Because we don't want our efforts to communicate to be diminished. And I don't say, I'm not saying don't use those words. I'm saying make sure that we are helping others understand them. Paul goes on here and he talks about prayer. He said, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. The point here is, I believe, we cannot park our brain in our car before we go in the building. We have to keep our brains on, our ears open. We need to bring our mind with us to the worship along with our heart and soul. Jesus said the greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Contrary to what some will say, scientists will say, oh, well, faith is the absence of any proof. So Christians have uh, ignored the science, quote-unquote. Quite the contrary. We have not. We are looking at the science, and we are looking at the truth of, of God's Word, and they do not conflict. In fact, they are harmonious. Why? Because the great creator created all the systems that, we, that exist today, whether physiological, uh, physics, or anything else. Look at what John said. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Jesus said this, sorry, in the book of John. Beg your pardon. Spirit and truth. You see, the public services of the church, but also in our private discussions of the Word of God, our minds have to engage. Our minds have to be engaged. Paul goes on there in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, otherwise, in other words, without your brain being turned on, otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen, or I agree, or so be it, at your giving of thanks? Since he doesn't understand what you say. For if you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. Now that's true whether we're, it's in a language that we, that we don't ordinarily speak or that, we, that no one else understands, or whether that's something that is said from the pulpit or is said publicly in any other context or privately. It's again saying, how can they say I agree with you if they don't 
understand. Only when people understand what you're saying can they agree with or benefit from your praise, from your prayers. He says, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Paul was very good at this. He said, show me your CV. So show me your resume. I got you. And, and, and it goes on. I got you. I mean, he, he would low-key flex on people in a heartbeat. Do you think you're something? Look at this. But he didn't do it to brag. What he was doing is saying, I, yes, I got you. I see you. I got you in spades. But yet, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding than may teach that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. He said, it's not about the CV. It's not about all the languages you can speak. It's not all the gifts that you have. It's not all the things that you can do. It's not all the, it's about, are you effective? Are you effective? Now, does that mean that studying God's word or studying any other topic or becoming an expert in something is useless? No, that's not what he's saying. But are you pouring into other people? Are you edifying? Five plain words have more power than 10,000 words that no one understands, is the point. You see, for us to really worship God, our mind, our will, and our emotions have to be moved. Because without the mind, worship can morph into meaningless activity over time. It can be just something that we do. Without the mind, your relationship with God becomes empty. The head of the astronomy department was speaking to the dean of the divinity school. And they were talking like professors do. The astronomy professor said, now let's face it. In religion, what it all boils down to, very simply, is that you should love your neighbor as yourself. That's the golden rule, right? Okay, that's what the astronomy professor said. Yes, I suppose that's true, said the dean of the divinity school. Just as in astronomy, it all boils down to one thing. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Well, that's absurd. They're both absurd. When you reduce Christianity to a few warm fuzzies, then it becomes useless. Christianity, doctrine is important. It's not enough just to believe. You have to know what you believe for your faith to have any meaning. And I don't mean having faith in a person, whether that person is grandpa or that person is uncle so-and-so or that person is some uh, preacher or evangelist that you know and respect. That's all great. But do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Not in just the people in this room. I'm talking about in God which is why you will hear your leadership here constantly talk about pointing you to Jesus. Not to this building, not to just these people, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is permanent. That is edification. Keep going here. 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however in malice be babes. But in understanding, be mature. 
In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. That's Isaiah 28. Therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Tongues were a sign of judgment to unbelievers. When, when Israel refused to, to obey and to hear the, the prophets, um, God warned that he was going to speak to them in a foreign language, meaning there's going to be people coming in here that don't speak Hebrew, and it's going to be a bad day. That was 700 years before Christ. And their foreign language was, was meant to confuse the Jews, but clearly communicate that God was, was judging them. Well, later, here in Paul's day, foreign languages in Israel were still kind of a sign of judgment. Because there wouldn't have been any foreign languages in Jerusalem, really, had the Assyrian army not come in, carried them off to captivity, that they came back, all those kinds of things. And less than 20 years after Paul wrote this, the Roman army destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70. And the Jews were scattered all over the world. They had rejected their Messiah, and God's judgment fell as a result. Finally, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. As cool as these miraculous gifts were at the time. He's saying, really what needs to happen is for you to preach the word of God. That's what needs to happen. The clear word of God convicts unbelievers and converts them into true believers. Romans 10 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's exactly what Paul also wrote in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14. One quick last story. There's a preacher that was walking out of the local hospital and he heard someone call his name. And as, as this man approached, he said, hey, hey, preacher, you, you remember me? He didn't remember him, but apparently about 10 years earlier, that young man had visited the church. That, that young man was facing some jail time. He had some tax violations. <clears throat> he, was, um, he was an alcoholic. Um, that was jeopardizing his marriage and his, his relationship with his children and his job. His, his life was in desperate shape. But 10 years later, that man come up to the preacher and said, I want to thank you. He said, for what? He said, because one Sunday you preached a sermon about taking responsibility for our lives. To not blame someone else on what's going on in our life. That, and God used that sermon to speak to me. That afternoon, I changed my life. I prayed and, and asked God to forgive me for the things that I had done. And with God's help, I've changed. And since that, since that time, I've gotten out of trouble with the IRS. I, be, I, I overcame my alcoholism. My marriage is better than ever before, and I want to thank you. And as the man left, the preacher was kind of overwhelmed by what he heard. 
He went back to his office and he went through his files and dug out that 10-year-old sermon. And he found it. He, looked, he wrote a note at the top. And he said, it said, dead in the water. No one listened. A waste of time. But God's word got through when that preacher thought that he had failed to connect with anybody. You see, that's the power of God's word. When we use it as a part of our regular conversation with people, or we're using it from the pulpit, it's a seed that's planted in the heart and mind of somebody else. And it, you may not ever see the watering that takes place afterward. And you may never see the harvest that comes after that as well. This particular story, it came full circle and he saw that. Sometimes that happens. Sit down and talk a little bit with my dad and you'll get some pretty cool stories about full circle. You want to make a significant contribution to the lives of others. Proclaim God's word plainly, instructively. Preach it intelligibly and intelligently. And we've also got to persuade effectively. I've gone this far. I might as well tell my last story. <clears throat> I thought I was going to tell. I wasn't going to tell one more. But The night of the sinking of the Titanic, there were two ships that were relatively close. The Californian was actually only about 20 miles away. They had turned off their radio about 10 minutes before the Titanic hit the iceberg. Why they turned it off, nobody knows. They saw the rockets and the flares that the Titanic was shooting off. They couldn't figure out why they were doing that. 20 miles away. But they didn't turn on their radio and they didn't investigate. They saw the, the, the ship's light turn off. Well, it turned off because the electrical system failed. The crew of the Californian were so busy in their own routines that they couldn't imagine that there was a ship sinking, much less the Titanic. But there was another ship, the Carpathia, 58 miles away. Its radio was on. They got the call that the Titanic was sinking. They fired up all of their, their, their boilers. There's a coal-fired steamships. They brought on another watch of stokers, people putting coal in the fire. They turned off their heating and their hot water system to produce more steam. Because these, these ships are only going about 12, 13, 14 miles an hour. It took them three and a half hours to get to the Titanic. Now, by the time they got there, there were a lot of people that were dead, but they saved 705 people. Out of, the, out of the water. Which would you rather be? The Californian or the Carpathia? The Carpathia said, something's going on. We don't know what it is. Let's go investigate. The Californian said, we don't know what's going on. Let's go another way. Are we a church just going through the routine? Are you a Christian going through the routine? walking day by day, or are you in a mission? Are you spreading God's word, helping other people have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If we can use the simple proclamation of God's word, we can save more than just physical lives. We can save souls. If we can help you in your walk this morning, if you've not ever named the name of Christ, and been obedient to the gospel, and been obedient in baptism, we can help you with that as well. If we can help you this morning, let us know as we say. Thank you so much for listening. 
to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.